Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Avatar Returns. I'm your host, Paul Smith of the Gobbledy Geek Podcast, and joining me, as always, are... I'm Eric Sipple. And I'm Arlo Wiley. And each week we discuss two to four episodes of the Nickelodeon animated series Avatar The Last Airbender and its sequel series The Legend of Korra. Eric and I have seen both series before, but this is Arlo's first trip to the world of Avatar, so there will be spoilers, but only up to up through the episodes that we're discussing tonight. Um, but tonight we're not talking episodes. This week uh, we finished out book one, The Legend of Korra. Uh, before we move on into book two, we are going to return to the Dark Horse Comics graphic novel series uh, that bridges the two animated series. Previously we discussed volume one, The Promise. Uh, tonight we're going to talk about volume two, The Search, also known as How Ursa Got Her Face Back. Um, so guys, we're going <laughs> to... we're. I that that is so something I would have said. I appreciate that. <laughs> I do it for you, man. I do it for you. Uh, we're so tonight we're going to shift from silly cartoons into funny books. But um, but before we do that, before we we leave the cartoons behind entirely, I just wanted to say a few words um, about uh, season one of DreamWorks um, Voltron Legendary Defender, uh, which just premiered uh, on Netflix this past weekend. We talked a little bit about the show's pedigree before on this podcast. Uh, it's got showrunners Lauren Montgomery and Joaquin DeSantos, uh, writers Tim Hedrick and Joshua Hamilton, all of them with backgrounds in Avatar and Korra. Um, and uh, we talked a little bit about that, and we I think we were all pretty excited to check it out when it uh, premiered. It's dropped. I've watched all 13 episodes. Um, my co-hosts have not yet watched it, so I'm, I'm not going to talk in detail. No spoilers or anything. I will just say that... I binge watched it. Um, I loved the hell out of it. It is, uh, it's absolutely, it's much goofier. <laughs> it, it, it is not Korra. It's not Avatar or Korra. It is much goofier, much campier. It hews much closer to a lot of the more typical anime tropes than either of the Avatar or Korra series did. Um, but it, it absolutely, uh, especially over the course of the series, uh, like by the end of season season one, you definitely get the the flavor. You can definitely tell that there is uh, Avatar and Korra pedigree in this. Uh, I, I think one of the one of the benefits it gets from being on Netflix is it follows the Netflix model where um, it's kind of designed for binge watching. Each episode really it really does feel like one cohesive story. So um, the the characters change and grow over the course of the season and it it takes you to a point by the the season finale that uh, you're desperate for more which i think is great but anyways much goofier uh it's it's funny it's very very funny and um the animation is fantastic it's it's uh the entire first season was done by studio mirror who uh did the entire first season of cora but uh, anyways, it's great. I'm I'm very glad to hear that. I <laughs> I only had time to watch the first 20 minutes of the first episode, which the first episode's like an hour long. Um, yeah, the, the the first episode is technically episodes one through three. Okay, so basically, I did watch the first episode then, yeah, yeah. and I liked it. I I enjoyed it. I have I think I said before I have zero prior familiarity with Voltron, but I liked what I saw. 
I'm glad to hear it's as good as you say it is, and I definitely look forward to watching more of it and uh, revisiting this discussion. Well, Arlo, to to quote Deadpool, it's five lion robots come together to form (laughs) one giant robot. That's true. I take it back. I had some familiarity with (laughs) Voltron beforehand. That's all you need to know. So... And Power Rangers was basically Voltron, right? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. I did hear an interview with uh, with uh, Lauren and Joaquin where they talked about some of uh, – they were asked, you know, what were some of the changes that, that uh, perhaps, you know, the studio or whatever – like, what changes did you fight for? And they talked about how, for a while, people were trying to get them to ditch the fancy colors – like they wanted, they wanted it to be a little more like neutral, not the, and they specifically said it was because of concerns over similarities to Power Rangers. Yeah, but Voltron got there first. Uh, that's absolutely true. But. I, I love the drift of, of cultural history where <laughs> a, a like reboot or of, of an original property gets called a, a ripoff of the thing that ripped it off. Yes. It's, just, it's one. Yeah. It's really great. Yeah. It's, it, I, there's no way around it, but it's just always fun every time it happens. Which is why, like, you can't. I mean, to a certain degree, that was like the John Carter of Mars problem. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you do Princess of Mars when half of American tentpole culture was based on ripoffs of right. Princess of Mars? Right. Yeah. Like, there's just no way around it because everything you watch the, at at best, you're going to be like, I feel like I've seen this before. Is like what you have to fight against. So, anyways, I, I feel for the poor Voltron people. Um, not that I'm not even sure. I don't even think Voltron was the originator of this, but it was definitely before fucking Power Rangers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, so speak- I, I'm based on the tenor of this discussion. I imagine we're not doing a Mighty Morphin Power Rangers podcast <laughs> once this wraps up. Well, I want to do the movie when the movie comes out, but which, oh. because, mostly because Elizabeth Banks is playing Rita Repulsa. God, you are it. you are not forcing gobbledygeek. <laughs> you, you 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 have a lot oh, of man. sway. With Gobbledygeek, because we are the two hosts of Gobbledygeek, <laughs> but you, sir, do not have the power to make us do an episode about the goddamn Power Rangers movie. <laughs> I don't have the power to make you, but I'm still going to make sure that it happens. <laughs> er- Eric, you and I can talk off mic, because <laughs> I might want to see that movie, too. Oh, God. Um, oh, see, God. It's all over, Arlo. You lost. Well, I'm just, tell- I'm just telling you now, and people who listen to this podcast can mark my words. If we do an episode discussing the Power Rangers movie, we will be watching at least a few episodes of the original series, which is on Netflix. Oh, Lord. So, uh, mark my words. I suppose that's fair. Go, go, motherfucking Power Rangers. Um, all right. Well, speaking of ripoffs, uh, Dark Horse is getting into the adult coloring book game so i just wanted i wanted to say a few words about this this news dropped just uh well yesterday or i saw this news yesterday at least so adult coloring books are the big thing you can't walk into a a major bookstore anymore without seeing being assaulted by shelf after shelf of these just incredibly elaborate uh like coloring books intended for adults um Pam thinks she started, my wife Pam thinks she started the craze because just before this whole thing sort of dropped, um, she had become obsessed. She was looking for ways to relax. And so she went out and bought a bunch of coloring books. And that's how she relaxes now. She just sits around and colors and coloring books. And all of a sudden, the whole world is into it, including Dark Horse. The reason I wanted to mention it, um, I mean, obviously, we're about to talk about a Dark Horse comic book, but uh, 
this this is a line of coloring books that they're going to debut in October, but the first two ones that they've announced um, are an Avatar The Last Airbender coloring book um, and a Serenity coloring book. These are I am a fan of both of those things. Right? I thought maybe you might be interested. Um, so there, these will each be 45 pages of original artwork uh, created specifically for this. It's on thick, heavyweight, 10 by 10 inch paper, uh, $14.99 per book. Um, like I said, it doesn't drop till October, which makes me sad, but I will be, I will be picking these up. I okay, I I don't know how I feel about the adult coloring book trend. I just, I'll just can be I, honest. Can I ask a question? Hold on. Wait. 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 What is an adult coloring book? You Are don't know talking, about is this. this. Like, is this like a porn thing? No. Yes. No, no. I wish. I, I wish it wasn't. I wish they didn't call it adult coloring book. But that's what everybody because refers to them as. It, it sounds like hentai. It's just, <laughs> well, I don't know. We don't get any. Uh, they don't show any interior artwork, so who knows? But Eric, uh, I am positive there is Avatar hentai out there if you want to look for it. I'm well, sure. I'm I'm sure there is, but I just can't believe Dark Horse is publishing it. No, no but but seriously, a serious question. You have not heard of this. No, I didn't realize there was an adult okay. coloring book trend, this, and it's a stupidly named trend. I mean, this that is, is a, okay. The name is stupid, but it, it is a big thing. You can find adult coloring books pretty much everywhere now mm -hmm. like just with uh, like paul was saying they're very elaborate lots of intricate patterns and they're meant as like a sort of relaxation thing and now it's taken off to the point where obviously we're getting into licensed material now with avatar and serenity i ha i own the only one of these i own and it's because our fr because friend of all shows i will ever do ken edwards uh when he visited me a couple of years ago, and this is, I think this was right before like it really took off as like a big thing. He gave me a Bill Murray coloring book. Oh, wow. Entitled Thrill Murray. <laughs> That's awesome. So That's I awesome. own that. Yeah. Eric, I'm surprised with all the traveling you do because I, I'm certain that these are probably all over like airport bookstores and, and newsstands and that kind of thing. I mean, the thing that I'm, I'm like stuck on is I don't understand what makes this an adult coloring book. Is it just a coloring book of a property that we assume adults like more than kids? Is well, that it's not even they're about? not even all licensed properties. It's just I, I think people call them adult coloring books because they're not they're they're separate from like the children's books. They're they're intended so, for adults. They're much more elaborate. You know, you don't. Yeah. So what I would say is that something like the Avatar coloring book is I think the exception because most of these are not licensed. Most of them have nothing to do with like cartoons and things that you would normally associate with coloring books. They're just very elaborate patterns that kids probably, you know, wouldn't enjoy coloring yeah, as much yeah, you as don't, scoop you. You don't color these with like fat crayons or anything. These are going to be uh, fine point coloring pencils and that kind of thing. But anyways, and All right, uh, so there's an avatar. I, I, can I just, can I, I really need to like step, hold on. I don't want to get stuck on this. Cause we have an awesome thing to talk about, but avatar is a kid show on Nickelodeon. Why is there an adult coloring book for avatar? Like, we're, it's not like we're adults. an adult coloring book for like Pacific rim Be or because I think it's, it is a kid's property. You're right. But, one, if you're Dark Horse and you've got this in your back pocket, why not throw it out there? Because, and the reason for it is because adults clearly love Avatar 2. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's, there's, there's a market there. I, I don't know why you wouldn't just have regular Avatar coloring books too, but... This is a stupid idea. <laughs> I mean, I don't think having a coloring book for Avatar is a stupid idea. I just think that this adult 
coloring book thing is it? <laughs> I, I, yeah so so back to what i was saying originally i i don't know how to feel about this trend because and i i if you just remove the word adult from the whole equation uh, okay Eric, Eric, then, if you walk into a, a barnes and noble or a books a million or whatever like any any big bookstore i one of the shelves at the front of the store, one of the the in-your-face displays when you walk in, has got to be these elaborate yeah, coloring books. You will find them there. But even okay, even if you remove adult from the phrase, even if they're just coloring books that adults are buying in mass, I, I don't know how I feel about it. What's well, so bad about that? What's wrong with that? I don't know. I, don't, I think it's I don't, fine. You, you I think it's, I think it's crazy is? how it's exploded. I, I really think like it, it. There was a very short period of time where it was kind of you'd go into a bookstore and you'd have to look for them, and you'd find like three or four of these quote unquote adults, the 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 fancy coloring books, and then like it, it feels like within a month, all of a sudden there are hundreds of them. I'm going to transition us into actually talking about what we're talking about today, and this is how I'm going to do it. So here's why I think it's absurd. Not that the color book, coloring books are there and not that adults are buying them. I think it's totally cool. Having a having coloring books of various elaborateness is a great idea, but that there are adults who need to be given permission to buy a coloring book by having it marketed as an adult coloring book so that they feel okay <laughs> to buy it is absurd, especially for people who are already watching a fucking Nickelodeon show <laughs> – and that's the property. Like that, that avatar needs to have an adult coloring book. Like we have all made peace, I, I would hope, with the fact that we're watching a show on Nickelodeon, a dumb cartoon, and yeah. and 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 that it has like has like I mean, Cora has like a farting Airbender. Running <laughs> so, so, anyways, I think that like we're we're gonna like yes, yeah, Dark Horse is publishing this, but let's when we get into talking about this, we're not talking about a. We're talking about a very mature piece of work, but not a mature like in a Marvel Max kind of way, but in a depth of writing kind of way. But this is still a thing with a lot of goofy jokes and Mr. Boomerang humor and things like that. Why does anyone need permission? You shouldn't need permission. What I'm saying is, is enjoy Avatar. It's on Nickelodeon. It doesn't matter. It's a good fucking show. Who cares? If you like the color coloring books, go to the kids section too. Go wherever you want to do and buy a coloring book and buy your Crayolas and color. That's awesome. You don't need permission. You don't need it marketed that way to you. Maybe, you don't need. Uh... You don't need. I went at the grocery store and I saw Aaron noticed, like nuts, like you know, like a like a like like planters nuts or whatever, but like labeled for men, like as if, <laughs> as, if, as, if, as if guys couldn't buy them otherwise. So you know, maybe I'm wrong about this whole coloring thing. I kind of I don't know. Maybe I should try it. Well, guys, if you, think... if you if you check out the link that I dropped in Skype, you'll you'll you can see the cover of the two books, the Avatar and Serenity, and you'll get an idea. Or Arlo, you've this... already seen them. I'll put the this in the show notes. Amazing at home. The art looks amazing. I think it looks fantastic. Yeah. I'm 100 percent behind people do buying these. I just think adult coloring books are stupid. I, that's all. I think I'm, that... I'm, I'm, please please buy these and please color them. That's <laughs> that is my that's the, that's the headline. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong about all this. Um, by the way, uh, you mentioned Mar like the Marvel Max. I would love to see like a Marvel Max Avatar series about Jet and his gangs going around, <laughs> yes. fucking people up. Yeah. Oh my god, that would be awesome. They could actually tell the story of his death. It would yeah. be so bloody. It would, like, I want Garth Ennis and yes! what, what, who's the artist who did Preacher? Dylan. 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 I want Ennis and Dylan to do the Marvel Max Jet. Avatar series. <laughs> I love it. I'm there right now. Three ninety nine issue. I'll pay it. 
All right. Well, yeah, let's talk. Let's talk about the Avatar comic. Come on, we, we're here to actually talk about. All about right. Sure. Enough of the, uh, enough of stupid know. cartoons and coloring books. Let's talk about some comics. Yeah. An, an adult comic book. Right. Let's, let's do it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, once again, this is uh, Avatar: The Last Airbender. It's the official comic book continuation series uh, published by uh, Dark Horse. It's with the um, with the cooperation and uh, consent and involvement of the original creators, Brian Kanetsko and Michael Dante DiMartino. It's primarily written by Gene Luen Yang with art by the, the art duo Gurahiru. Um, so all of these volumes that we talk about is going to be the same creative team. But uh, we'd previously talked about The Promise, and we were all very positive on that, I believe. Yes, and that was actually one of those situations where going in, I liked The Promise, but by the time we were done talking about it, I realized just how good it was, and I've only like gotten more positive on it since our discussion. All right, I'm in the same boat. I'm in the same boat. Cool. Um, well, I I had uh, uh, again for new listeners, I have read all three of these uh, uh, collections: the Promise, the one we're talking about tonight, the Search, and then the next one we're going to talk about. I'd read them before. Um, neither of you have Eric and Arlo. Neither one of you had read these before, so we'll start with who. Oh, again, I'm going to break tradition, and I'm going to start with you, Eric, since you you finally get to be a newbie along with Arlo. Let's start with you. What are your thoughts on the search? I'm behind this on one condition. Okay. Which is that when we get to Smoke and Shadows, where you're the newbie, you get to start that one. Yeah. Oh, oh all right. Jeez. Throw me. In are, the are we okay with that? Is that are we going to go with that? Uh, what What if we're not? What happens if we're not? Then I'm going to pass to Arlo. Oh. <laughs> I, I demand that Paul is the newbie, be the newbie in that situation. Jeez. All right, all right, that's fine. all right. Okay, cool. All right, but then it's then it's settled, and it was in public, so you can't take it back. All right, um, I really like this. This was good. I, at, and you know, I'm in the same boat as Arlo, where I really liked the promise when I read it, and I just liked it more and more the further I got from it. And which is a double-edged sword when you get to something like this, you're extra excited for it. But there's a part of me that wonders if this is as good. As the promise, and I just want to get that out of the way now because I, I, I really like this. Like, I really, really liked the search. I really liked the search. Um, but the promise felt weighty in a way that maybe this didn't. Mm-hmm. And part of that might just be my memory about the difficult subjects in the promise, like, will I kill my friend? Right. Because you made me promise to kill him. And there's really nothing as, as weighty as that mm-hmm. in this book. And I, I want to get that. And the reason I'm getting it out of the way is because it may not be fair to hold this book to that. But that was kind of in my head when I was reading it. In the middle of this one, I was a little worried because the threads weren't coming together. There was like this thread about them, like with this wolf spirit and they were wandering around and Azula was crazy about her mom. And, and there was this stuff about Zuko maybe not being the son of Ozai, but the son of this other person. Although I'll be honest, I kind of figured where that was going mm-hmm. before we got there. Um, but there was a lot of disparate threads and I wasn't sure how they were going to come together. And I was wrong to be concerned because they all come together really amazingly at the end. Yeah. Every single theme that's been juggled through the entire book suddenly becomes like all these stories that don't feel like they're about the same thing all end up being about the same thing in the end, which is, I think I have to qualify as good fucking writing. For that. <laughs> so, um, I, I really, this really well worked really well in the end. It's like I said, it, it feels a little more like a smaller personal th- story than, than the, the promise, but I think it really works. And I ultimately came out very, very happy. With yeah. It. I wonder what this would have been like to read as it was published. It was, you know, originally released 
as three individual, like smaller volumes over the course of months. So like, for example, part one of, of the search ends on a pretty big cliffhanger or, or a pretty big reveal. And imagine now that you had read this just in that individual volume and you had to wait a month or two months or whatever for the next one to come out. And uh, Gene Lu and Yang even mentions that in the annotations that when the first volume was released, the fans lost their shit. Yeah. Like, and we're, we're like in not like a, because, you know, fans, fans. overreact. Oh, come on. Uh, I, I know. Shocking. And they were not pleased. But of course, it all comes together in the end. And I really, I, I can't imagine what it would have been like to read this broken up because I, I actually, I'm in the exact same boat as Eric in everything that he said, because um, I too do not think this is necessarily as good as the promise uh, because the promise did sort of have a scope uh, that this one doesn't and dealt with moral questions. This one doesn't, but this is a completely different kind of story. And I also agree. It's very, very good. Um, and also, yeah, I, I became concerned at a certain point because it, uh, like, I, in my notes, I was asking questions that seemed really like, like major oversights to me. Like, uh, wouldn't, uh, Norrin and Noriko recognize Zuko, the fire Lord, like, like giant scar in his face that he's not even trying to hide or, uh, what are you talking about? He was wearing a hood. Right. Uh, or or why, why didn't Azula just destroy that letter? Or I was asking all of these questions that didn't make sense to me. And by the end of the story, of course, they all made I had an answer for all of them. Mm-hmm. So it, I, I was I was very impressed. You know, there are ways that this story is less complicated and um, difficult thematically and morally, but more complicated structurally. I would agree with than that. the promise. It it does some things that I would not expect. Like what you were talking about, like all the questions you brought up are like really the kind of questions that I had too. And what I think is interesting is that the series doesn't even tip its hand that we should be asking those questions. It just sort of does them. And we get to the end and it's like, oh no, I was thinking, I was planning all that. (laughs) Right, yeah. It's a very, it's a very, it's a very high level of confident writing. So I I agree. It's, it's amazing. I'm amazed that they got, um, someone as high caliber as Gene Lu and Yang to do these because so often, I think we talked about this a little last time when we did one of these so often when it comes to tie-in comics, I mean, even if they're good tie-in comics, you don't get a talent like Gene Lu and Yang. And more often than not, the tie-in comics just aren't very good. And so it's just, I, I am very impressed. I think that these two graphic novels are just as good as some of the stronger moments of the Avatar's, cartoon series and you know we, we can talk about this later but the art by Gurry hero is phenomenal it, it, it only gets better it was great in uh the promise and they've only improved yeah. in this one um i'm i will i'll echo what you have both said that uh the promise was we loved it at the time i had read it before but we loved it at the time and as with so much of this project that this podcast project we've been doing having a conversation with the two of you about this has made me love it even more. Um, so the promise it really stands out in my mind. This one, I think just like you both said, it's, it's perhaps just a step below the promise for me. Um, and I feel like that was my initial view, my initial read of it as well. Um, I won't tell you where I think the next volume stands, but, um, it's interesting because the promise told a much, a much larger, a much grander 
more epic tale, but it was a tale that we didn't know we wanted. It was, it was right. a story like we, I don't think any of us had considered, well, we may have raised a couple of the questions that it answered, but for the most part, that's a story we didn't even know we wanted. Whereas this one, uh, this book, uh, takes head on the most asked question that, uh, that Brian and Michael get. And that's what happened to Zuko's mother. The, the entire series avatar, the last airbender, it basically ends on that question. Um, we never get to find out. And this was originally intended to be a 90 minute movie. Um, and, uh, Nickelodeon passed on that because they decided to extend, expand, uh, legend of Korra. Uh, instead of make a movie out of this. So that's why this... I feel like they were right. Do you feel like they were right about that? Like, I feel like this would not have been a super compelling animated movie. Like, I actually feel like the story worked better in this medium. I, uh, I don't know. I can, I can see this. Honestly, I can see the promise being a really great animated movie. Um, this, you, you might be right. I'm not sure. I I think you could definitely make a great, I, I don't know. I think the potential is there for this to have been a really good animated movie, but I also think it's such a relatively smaller story that you would have risked disappointing people by, you know, announcing everywhere like, oh, Avatar is coming back for, for, for a 90 minute movie. And then it turns out to be this very satisfying, but much smaller scale story than people may have, may have, have wanted. Yeah. There's actually a, a more important question about this, which I didn't think of when I was when I was mouthing off, which is and Paul, maybe you can answer this. But this was they pitched this before Gene Luen Wang was involved. Right. So this would yeah. not have been what we would have gotten. This, this story was not the story we would have gotten from the pitch. Yeah, because in the, in the in the footnotes. So we're all reading this from the collected hardcover volume that has, that features footnotes. And from the from the footnotes, Gene uh, or whoever tells us that um that um, Michael and Brian didn't have all of this stuff fleshed out. They had some of these ideas in the backs of their mind, in the back of their minds for what was going down with, uh, with Zuko and Azula's mother. Um, But they didn't know all of this. So a lot of what we get in this book came later once they, once Gene was brought on. Um, So yeah, I I don't know what version, what version of the story would have been in a 90 minute animated feature. And that would have not, I mean, I feel like, I feel like the pitch must have been, hey, how about a movie where we talk about Zuko's mother? Right. Yeah. And you know, there are fans of Avatar out there who don't know the comics exist. And so for them, like, they're still waiting to find out I'm sure they're out there. Although, I mean, the, you know, the fan community is pretty pretty with it the the wiki page and the the fan pages i mean right they... but you know there are fans of anything out there that yes. are not as yeah. connected as we think they are or there's they, or there's just a not in the comics. Reddit of people angry about this <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um anyways so i th- just think it's interesting that the promise was a story none of us as fans of the series even knew that we we wanted um, but we absolutely loved it whereas this is sort of the story that most if not all avatar fans wanted and it's it's good even great but not quite as good as the promise was and honestly that's a more difficult task to pull off telling a story that people have wanted to hear for years is an unenviable task for anyone yeah and so the like the i think the promise succeeded uh a lot because you're right that's not a story that we 
you know, that was not a question that was on the tip of our tongues. And so we got to see a new compelling facet of this world that we loved. Whereas with the search, this is the big cliffhanger that we have been wanting, we've been wanting answers to for years. It's like this very easily could, speaking of speaking of serenity and dark horse comics this very easily could have been like let's find out what book's backstory is oh, oh let's not it was that <laughs> let's not um so this uh for especially given what it is very impressive that it's pulled off as well as it is here it, it helped you know it really actually it's interesting that the things that made us concerned about it in the middle are actually why this is a useful story, like a, a, a essential story to read. You know what I mean? Like all those questions where you're like, well, why this? Why that? Why that? All of those things are what lend the depth to what would otherwise be a fairly simple story that wouldn't be worth thing other than to say – because let's take all the depth out of this. Like let's take the – the side, what felt like sidelines about all the weird spirit stuff and the face mother faces, which we'll get to talking about, and um, all the stuff about like the Noriko and I can't think of what his name. Norin. Norin. Yeah. Let's take that stuff out of the table. What you get is a story where we learn that Zuko's mother did not get along with Ozai and was kicked out <laughs> and regrets it. That would be the whole story without those things. Yeah. They. I so, mean, they they could have they could have had the whole. They could have done the paternity question too, I suppose. But yeah, they could have done that if they had wanted to. But that's basically it. That's the whole story. Is and I mean, okay, yeah, you also get some of the stuff with Azula, maybe. Although I'm of the opinion that the Azula stuff was was Jean's idea too. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong about that, but that feels like enlisting Azula in this quest feels like Jean's idea. I feel like as I feel like Azula would have had to have been involved in in, in any version of this though, because she is but, Zuko's sister. Yeah, I think she would have been involved in any version, but there was a very specific Azula is the central piece of the story mm-hmm. that I'm not I'm 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 just saying. I, I'm I'm giving that I'm gonna just on on no knowledge at all give that to Gene just because of the way the last story ended. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um so anyways, the point being that I think that it is exactly the structural complexity that makes the story work. Because on the outside, it is basically a story where um oh my gosh, I'm blanking on on her her real name, not not Noriko. Ursa. Ursa. It's a story where Ursa gets stolen into this marriage and um, manages her way out by basically turning Ozai against her and poisoning Azulon to buy her freedom, basically, but not get her kids. And then her kids finding her like on on this like very like obvious level like there's not a whole lot happening mm-hmm. but then you get to all this weird stuff with like, faces and identity and there's all these questions about like who who are you really that all play into this stuff with the faces and suddenly this story that is really simple becomes a story that is actually really deep and has a lot to talk about yeah i mean so we, when we were when we were still discussing avatar the last airbender um, we all came to the realization that uh, that series was really Zuko's story. Um, yeah. And it kind of appears that that's still what's happening. So uh, Zuko's entire identity is wrapped up in, in a, a quest for identity. Like he, he's, he's trying to find, you know, discover who he is, what his place in the world is and all that. Um, so, I mean, this story on a grander scale, obviously this ties into Zuko. It's, it's so many versions of the quest for identity. Uh, when you bring the mother of faces in, you, 
that becomes literal. Um, but then Zuko's also got, you know, I mean, Zuko's face has also always been an issue because he wears the outward scar, the visible scar on his face. Um, and then there's the brother sister thing. Um, you have, you have three sets of, uh, siblings that we deal with over the course of the story. Um, yep. Yeah, there's uh, there's Sokka, Katara, Zuko, Azula, and Misu and Rafa. Oh, thank you for having those names ready. I didn't have them written down. <laughs> good, but, good job. Yeah, bro. I, oh, I yeah. don't remember. I, I barely remember Katara's name. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, so let's talk about the the story that gets told then. So, um, who? What do we have to say about it? So, okay. So, I think that let's let's start with Azula because she's the most obvious piece of this story. Um, and we are getting full on crazy Azula who we only caught a glimpse of at the end of the series. Yeah. And... Put, putting her in the nut house has not, uh, has not had the desired effect. Yeah. And what I think is interesting about this is that I, and I think there's a note from, from Jean about this, about how they went an effort to make a very distinct break between um, calculating Azula, who is who we knew for most of the series, and psychotic break Azula, right? And making a really clear break, and I think that was really effective because it wasn't. It made sense of the fact that she was someone who is very controlled at one point, mm-hmm. and has now lost that control. So there's two ways you can write that character. One is she is entirely broken and she is loony the entire time. That's one option, mm-hmm. and the other option is to keep showing us the character we already got. And I I felt like this story did a good job of of walking the line of this is who Azula was and this is who Azula has now become. How, how did you all feel about that? I agree with you. I think if they had decided to make Azula straight up 100% crazy, I don't think that would have worked because I think that would have undermined the character that uh, we all knew. And even if she was, you know, a huge villain like the the best villain on avatar she was a character that by the end of the series i felt some measure of sympathy for and i feel like if you had just made her straight up insane like joker level insane that would have uh been a big disservice to that character so i really like the fact and it, it seems very believable to me that she would be you know she would be the azula that we know and recognize for you know portions of the story and then you know, at a certain point, she would she would snap because she is in the process of, or she has lost. Like you said, she's lost the control that she once had, but she's still trying to to hold on to who she is. It's it's another question of identity. Like, who is she now that she has lost all the power that she once had? I mean, the very fact that she goes along with this entire scheme that she that she's involved on this mission in any way shows that she still has some level of, of control and, you know, manipulation or whatever. Right. And it's just, um, I would say it's just occasionally, although it is very occasionally like, like it's, uh, frequently she snaps, the pendulum swings to the other side, but, uh, but I, I think she still, she still maintains a level of control that is dangerous to our heroes. Um, I, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she she's what I really like about this portrayal of Azula is that it does not treat them as two separate identities, but two identities that are playing off of each other, like two breaks that are because both versions of Azula, both the 
um, kind of fugue state Azula, who is in the opinion that her mother is orchestrating all things <laughs> against her. Mm-hmm. And the more calculated version of Azula are basically trying to accomplish the same thing, which is that they're going to get Zuko off the throne and put her on the throne. Right. And that, and so Azula has one very consistent motivation and one very inconsistent ability to control her emotions and her perception of reality. So I like that. Um, but the other thing I like is that because of her inability to control her perception of reality, in the grand scheme of things, her plan is highly half-baked. Like, super, like, there's no, there's no way where Azula comes out on top in, in this, in this thing. No matter what, this letter doesn't matter. Like, it is not a realistic threat, and the story doesn't treat it as a realistic threat as a result. And I actually really like that, because calculating Azula might be a threat to Zuko's power, but the current state of Azula is not a threat, no matter what proof she has of anything. I, I think the I think her problem is that she's just, and maybe she never was able to do this, but she just put on a a better show. I, I don't know. She, but she put on, she put on a, a a face. Yes, yes, exactly. She wore a better mask, but um, I just she doesn't seem able to. Uh, she doesn't seem able to pull a long con right now. Like she doesn't think far enough in advance. Uh, she's very impulsive and in the moment, and when she gets upset, she just lashes out right then and there. Um, and I think that's the danger Azula represents now. Sure, this plan isn't, isn't, isn't ever going to work, but crazy Azula uh, can do some serious, wild, uncontrolled damage. Mm-hmm. Like, it, her, her danger now lies in her lack of control. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, She because she's actually unable. Like, she is her own worst enemy, which I really like. Like, a calculating Azula with that letter would be a terrifying prospect. Like the Azula yeah. we saw in season two and most of season three with that letter could be a serious, terrifying threat to Zuko's power. Azula, well, as she is, has absolutely no no path to the throne because no one's going to put her on the throne. Right. Um, let's talk about that letter because some of the most subtle uh, some of the most subtle panel work, artwork that that we see with Azula involves the way that she she handles that letter over the course of the series up to and including the very end of the story. Um, so if we're just going to follow Azula for a little while, I'd like to talk about how out of control do we think Azula actually is? I mean, clearly she, there, there are many instances where she's out of control, but I just, I wonder how much of the manipulator is still present because so many times, at least three that I can think of, there are moments where she, she palms the letter like like the first time we see the letter, she holds it up, um, shows it to Z- to Zuzu, and then she palms it and puts it behind her back and burns another piece of paper so that he he thinks she just burned one of these letters. Um, and then after after one of their fights where they're throwing lightning at each other and everything, um, when Zuko turns to confront her. She tucks the letter back behind her, like in the, in her belt. And then at the very end, she's got the letter in her hand and she has this, this violent outburst and she, she runs away. She like hurls fire at him or whatever. And, uh, and runs away. And this is the last that we see of her is her running off, supposedly like cackling madly into the, into the woods, never to be seen again, but she drops the letter and it's so, difficult like you i 
Sokka comments on it, or Sokka and Aang comment on it. Like, did she did she drop it by accident or was it intentional? And I had to, I was like, what are they even talking about? And I had to go back and look at that panel. And, I, and sure enough, she's holding it in one panel. And then right when she's about to run, she drops it on the floor. Um, so I'm just, I'm wondering how much control she actually has. And if there's any element of a longer game plan here, what yeah, do you guys I, think? Gosh, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I feel like it's, I, I guess I should say first that I'm, I'm totally with your, your feeling on this. I think that the letter, the handling of the letter overall is a lot of deft and I think intentional writing. And the, I was actually, while you were talking, Paul, I was going back and looking at the artwork mm-hmm. during the period when she's dropping the letter. Mm-hmm. And boy, does that artwork look like she is intentionally setting down the letter. <laughs> like there is a, a frame, a, a panel, a frame. Oh my God. There's a panel where her arm is near the near the bottom near the floor, and the letter is falling from it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like it falls out of her hands, and it's not like it looks like there's any reason for her to be dropping it. Mm-hmm. Her hand is like very close to the floor and dropping it. What uh, what what page is this on? Two fourteen. Okay. Thanks for that. I had actually closed the book, Paul. So thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. It looks looks to me absolutely like she dropped it on purpose. And then Zuko, and I, I in the it. very next panel, Zuko picks it up, and I didn't even, I didn't even notice that when I was reading. Yeah, it's um, it's so yeah, she has it, and then it's like very, it just feels very like, I mean, Azula is not even crazy Azula doesn't feel like a randomly drop the letter kind mm-hmm. of person, and I do like that it is very close to the point when we get Azula's maybe more core motivation where. She says, like, if this happens, we'll both be free. Mm-hmm. And her, what she's talking about is that Zuko will be free of the throne. And you would expect Azula to be like, and I will be free of whatever, not having a throne or whatever, <laughs> like ambitious nonsense that you'd expect Azula to say. And it's basically free of the voices in her head. Yeah. Yeah. Like Azula's core motivation in that moment is not the throne. It's to not feel the way she's feeling. Mm-hmm. Which I think is very telling, and I like that. It's it kind of goes maybe a little under the radar with all the stuff going on because there's like lightning bending happening and all kinds of shit. But Azula's what Azula wants out of this is not the throne. She yeah. wants to. She wants as much as Zuko. She wants to be the person that she thinks she's supposed to be. She's yeah. kind. She's kind of on uh, Zuko's path now, where she's. Uh... You know, Zuko was never at peace. He was always at war with himself. And now he's supposedly now he's reached a point where he's much more, you know, balanced. And it looks like maybe that's what Azula, but certainly what she needs. It looks like maybe it's what she's after. This is fascinating. Maybe Zula's the, maybe Zula's the, 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 um, Ennis Dillon Max series. I would, I would <laughs> that, love that. That would be amazing. That would be brilliant. But no, I, I am fascinated by this because I didn't really realize it until you put it in those words eric but the entire time we've seen azula her motivation has always been the throne and now that has changed like it's still like on a on a superficial level she's still saying her motivation is the throne but you're right now she just wants to be free of these voices and to you know be who she thinks she needs to be and i really love that so we saw azula cracking up toward the very, very end of Avatar. And I love that that 
is carried through to the comics in a way that deals with it seriously. And like her, her mental illness is basically her defeating her. Like she, and she just wants to be free of it. I, I don't know. I, I think that's, that is very, a very mature thing uh, for them to do. I, I don't know if this is significant, but I love the fact that the very last time we see her in this book is um, as she's running away in tears and she, you know, Zuko says, I want to help you. She says, same as always, Zuzu, even when you're strong, you're weak. And then she runs away. And um, Zuko could have continued chasing after her, but that's the moment when uh, the mother of faces appears in that gigantic uh, double page spread, the Studio Ghibli double page spread. Um, and the, the, the Nightwalker spread. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, she has come to, you know, restore someone's identity. Um, I, I just, I don't, I, what I wonder is where has Azula gone? Like she runs into the woods just as the mother of faces appears to restore somebody's identity. I, I just, I wonder what the mother of faces could have done for Azula, if anything, maybe. But would she have done anything for Azula? Because she's already stretching herself pretty far to <laughs> yes. even go back and yeah, find yeah. Ursa. Well, actually, that's, that's an interesting question because I actually think this gets to the themes of the book where what the mother of faces can do is change your externality, right? Like she can change what you look like and give you the ability to live in a new life and maybe make you forget the pieces of your life that you don't want, but you can't change who you are. Right. Yeah, she, and Azula's a problem times, is not but... her externality. It's her inside. It's that yeah. she – has internal problems to solve. So the mother of faces could do nothing for her. But a couple times the, you know, there are a couple times where she says that uh, her purview or whatever is identity that she, um, I don't have the page open right now, but she says something like uh, when I appeared, I made the one into many or whatever, implying that she is the reason why people are different. Um, but did you not get the, the impression that what she's talking about later, like she has other things where her, the underlying idea of the of the mother of faces is that she has given the appropriate face to every person. And she is insulted right. by the idea that people may want different faces, that everyone's external like features are in line with who they are right. and that it is arrogant and annoying to demand a different face because it says that she didn't do the right job. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Yeah, she's a fascinating character, and uh, I love the fact that they tied her into uh, Ko the Face Stealer. Yes, because, of course, as I was reading this, Ko was like the first thing I thought of when we started talking about faces and uh, changing faces and all of that. And I actually was a little embarrassed because I couldn't remember his name. Like, I I, I remembered him very vividly, but then uh, when we find out later on that she is Ko's mother... Uh, I, I thought that was a great touch and I actually just really love the mother of faces in general. I think she has an incredibly cool design Mm -hmm. and I'm just, I'm, I, of the many different spirits that we've met, I think she is one of my favorites. She's yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I I was, I mean, I was just going to say she's super cool. And, uh, um, they, (laughs) When, as we as we continue into Korra, you're going to see all sorts of variations on spirit forms and that kind of stuff. And even taking all that into consideration, which you haven't seen yet, Arlo, I still think that uh, the Mother of Faces is pretty damn cool looking. So one of the so one of the annotations in here wasn't really a spoiler, but it did it, it clued me in a little bit of what to expect 
in Korra book two, and since I don't think it's a spoiler, I'm going to go ahead and talk about it. Um, the fact that so, uh, I guess book two of Korra, from what I'm inf- getting from here, really sort of expands like the rules on how spirits and humans interact. And so that uh, influenced some of the story here, like particularly with Aang, you know, making the different faces mm-hmm. and and things like that. Um, and that's really, I, I feel like, you know, if going into book two, if that's something we're going to learn, it's really cool that I got to read this beforehand. So I, I can see a little bit of what that's like featuring characters that, you know, that I already know a little better. Um and it also helps to make sense of the uh, – so, okay, here's here's another great example of me not being sure where this story was going and being completely sold by the end of it. When all of this stuff with the faces started happening, like Aang started making funny faces because a spirit was near, mm-hmm. I was like, really? Like, <laughs> like, 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 like Sokka mocking him was funny, but I was like, this is weird. This is, this is kind of silly in a way that – I, I don't know that I like, especially with like the faces like appearing on the bellies of animals mm-hmm. and everything. I just I thought that was really goofy. But of course, when we find you know eventually get to the reveal that it's the mother of faces and the whole story is about faces and masks and all of that, it really it really did hold together in the end. Well, uh, 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 one thing I want I want to just take some worry away from you. Book two of Korra, the title is Spirits. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so I just want to say that because I think that as soon as you saw that book two was called Spirits, you would know that we we're going to deal with spirits. So, yes. don't feel like you've been spoiled on anything, other yeah. than the fact that yes, in fact, book two Spirits does deal with spirits. By so, the way, oh good, no, go ahead. No, actually, go ahead. That's go with you. By uh, the way, <laughs> by the way, I don't know that anyone listening to this would not have read the annotated version. Um, or if you have, or even if you didn't, I guess it would be a moot point, but I just, I'm just going to say this in case it helps anyone do not read the annotations while you're reading the story. If you're reading the story for the first time, because the annotations are not written for the first time reader in mind, they will ruin massive uh, twists in the story. Because I I don't agree. I don't agree. I I, I do because hold on. There's one at the very beginning. I did not read the annotations while I was reading the first time. I, I, I did. Um, I read them as they went because the first time okay. I wasn't going to, and then I was wrong, and I just was like so obsessed with them this time. Okay, so on page thirty-six, um, there's a note from Michael Dante DiMartino, and he was not—I don't think he did annotations the last time around. I like, I, I feel like he was. He did. So. He did. He did. Oh, he did. Okay. okay. One of them did. It may have been Kanetsko, but someone who was not Gene and. Gore Hero did did an annotation in the last one. Okay, cool. Um, well, there's a note on page 36 where he um, uh, we added this detail of Ozai forbidding Ursa from speaking of her old life again as a way to explain why Ursa's hometown in relation to Avatar Roku uh, was not common knowledge. It also parallels the present story in a cool way. When Ursa married Ozai, she had to forget her past. Later, she makes a similar choice. I mean, I guess that's not that spoilery, but reading through it again, I was like, oh, well, this 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 would have clued me into something that I didn't, you know, that, that would have been a big surprise. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm making a, I, I did not, I read that when it happened and I was like, Oh, okay. That's kind of, but then honestly, a, I forgot about it. Um, by the time I was in the middle of the story, but B, it was like, it's so vague that actually the story, this choice he makes is actually kind of the reverse choice. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. 
I'm just going to say you're wrong. I, <laughs> I probably am. I, I read them as I was reading the story, and I don't remember it being a problem, but I'm famous for not caring about spoilers, so I, who knows? But um, All right, so we've ta- we're talking an awful lot about faces and masks and identity. Um, let's talk about... Well, I was going to talk about the actual, the literal masks, but let's talk about the flashback story. Let's talk about the 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 background of um, Ursa. Okay, the first question I want to ask you guys, because you guys have both seen Avatar multiple times. I've only seen it the once. I know that some of these flashbacks incorporate briefer flashbacks that we got to see during the run of Avatar. So what in here had we already seen? Because that was because I have only seen it all the way through once. I was a little like I, I didn't know what was new information and what wasn't at times. I, I It may have happened more. It may have happened one or two times besides this. But the one that I've got a note about is page 114, um, where the first two panels on page 114 are a flashback to um, Azula teasing Zuko when she told him that dad's going to kill you or whatever. And she said, and, and the dialogue is actually straight from the show where she says, I'm only telling you for your own good. I know maybe you can find a nice earth kingdom family to adopt you. And he says, stop it. You're lying. Dad would never do that to me. And then Ursa comes in those first two panels we saw in the show. And when, when uh, Ursa takes Azula out of the room and says, it's time for us to have a talk. That's when Zuko lays back in the bed and says, Azula always lies. Azula always lies. Um, right. So the rest of this is what is happening off camera, basically. I know there was an. I know there was another one because they actually there's a there's an annotation I think and I should have made a note of this, but there's an annotation where they mention that um, a certain flashback was bookended by bits that we had gotten to see in the show, but we never got to. Um, okay, oh, I okay, think it's page one sixteen. Page one sixteen. Yeah. yeah. So moments from Zuko alone book in a new scene in which we discover what was really said behind closed doors. So I, I just couldn't remember what we had already seen before. So what, so the bookend of that is page 119 when she comes into, or no, that's her saying about Azula. We didn't see that. 120 is when she comes into Zuko's room to kiss him goodbye. And she says, okay, know, my love, listen to me. Yeah. Okay. So all that stuff in the middle where we find out why she, what she did that's so right. horrific and why she leaves and all that. Okay. Because, because before all we had known that she, uh, Ozai claimed she had done something treasonous. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. And I mean, I, she, she, she does. Yeah. She, she does do something treasonous. Um, it's pretty extreme, but I, I... Well, I mean, technically she only made the poison. <laughs> Yeah. She didn't actually give it to anybody, but whatever. I mean, I I guess that's true, but you're kind of going through hoops to justify your <laughs> actions at that point. But at the same time, I'm not saying she necessarily did the wrong thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. That was that was actually an extremely canny play. You can see where Azula gets her ability to calculate situations from. Cuz it oh, is yeah. certainly not from Fire Lord, Fire Lord asshole, who <laughs> has really no ability to be canny or or um, conniving. Frankly, Ozai is not a clever leader. He is a terrifying leader, and everyone falls in the line because of that. Yeah, but Ursa is actually—I mean, look how well she 
orchestrates this entire thing. And it's not like in a mastermind, she gets everything she wants kind of way, but she writes that letter with false information to draw out the fact that Ozai is watching over her. Yeah. And then when he gets there, she makes a deal that actually is the best possible deal she can make because she draws it out. That is some pretty clever and on your feet thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Sucked for Zuko that he ended up being left behind. But I mean, that's, that was the best she could have made out of that situation. And Ozai is, I mean, he, he milks that for all it's worth. You know, every, uh, every time I speak harshly to him, every time I wound him, every time I treat Zuko as if he were the son of a treacherous dog, I will simply be fulfilling his mother's wish. God, he's so evil. That was some dick, dick, dick move. Right yeah. Uh, so, I mean, so one thing we can talk about is did Ursa make the right choice? I, I mean, everything obviously turned out for the for the best. Zuko is now a benevolent fire lord and ozai is imprisoned and the war is over and all of that but i do think there's a question to be asked like was leaving her children behind the the right thing to do i i think it's a fair question because when she she struggles with that decision for the rest of the book Um, yeah and like and when she before she gets her memory back she apologizes you know she says something like you know if if what you say is true, if I really am your mother, then I'm sorry I didn't love you enough. Yeah, that was, she says that to Azula. To Azula, and then when she gets her memory back, she says the same thing to Zuko. So yeah, I, I don't I don't know. I I I I like the fact that her choice is so it, it's not a black and white choice. Like, it's not clearly she did something good or clearly she did something bad. It's clearly she made a choice that bettered her life and her existence. But at what cost was that to her children? Well, so what did she negotiate for her children? She, she, I mean, she had his word. She, Ozai gave his word. Now the question is, what does Ozai's word mean? Exactly. But he gave his word that if she, if she did this and she left, she disappeared, um, that her children would be cared for, would be that he would not harm the children that, I mean, he kind of breaks that when he burns Zuko's face, but perhaps what she thought was he, he was so openly cruel to Zuko because she was there living with them in the house. And, and he was, like you just said, Arlo, he was punishing her by being outwardly cruel to Zuko. So right. perhaps what she thought she was getting out of this bargain was she would, sa- she would never see her children again, but at least Zuko would stop being punished for her presence. Right. And I mean, he Ozai does make the threat. You're right in that he did technically go back on his promise because he scarred the shit out of Zuko's face. Uh, but he he does make the threat. Should you try to stay or take your children with you, however, I will hunt you all down just like I did your precious boyfriend. Um, so I don't know. Is is this best case scenario? She left her children with an evil man who promised not to hurt them. Uh. Or, or she could have taken her children to hopefully live in freedom, but the entire time they would have been, you know, looking over their shoulders, wondering when Ozai was going to find them. And he probably, granted, he didn't find Ikem, but he probably would have found them. Well, he only didn't find Ikem because Ikem had 
changed his face. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Which who knew that that was out there? So, yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those. It's an impossible choice. It's a yeah. I, I mean, I don't envy her having to make that choice. I, I feel like. I, I guess even though I struggle with it as it happens when you're watching her make that decision and you're like, how could she possibly like, how could she leave him in that environment? How could she leave him with that man? I guess I lean more towards she felt like she was doing the best thing for Zuko. She thought this was going to, that Zuko would get to continue living in the palace, that he would be protected and that he would, that maybe Ozai would stop torturing him. But Yeah. And obviously she struggles with that decision for years until she is offered the opportunity to change her identity. And, and, and that, that might, was... that might be the more questionable choice to change her identity. You well, think? To, to let go of those memories. Right. Well, uh, I, I don't, I don't know because if she believes she has made the best choice for her, for her children, which she may have, because again, if they had, if she had taken them and they had left, Ozai probably would have found them mm-hmm. and, you know, tortured them or killed them or whatever. Um, so if she believes she had made the best choice, even though it hurt her a great deal, I, you know, she, she can't, it's, it's, it's destroying this supposedly, you know, good choice that she made. The best choice she could have made in that situation is destroying her. Maybe forgetting it would have, would, is the best thing to do under those circumstances because she can't go back and, and change it. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I like how complicated all of this is. Eric, Eric what still... do you think? I think she's a terrible mother and she should be fired into the sun. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm well. kidding. No, I, I'm actually, I'm, I'm with you all. I think that what I like about this situation is that we've already learned what an impossible situation living with Ozai was from Zuko's point of view in the series. We already know that there was no winning with Ozai and that we learned that through the series, not just that Zuko gets scarred by Ozai as like a as like a statement to other people, which is already monstrous. But then when he gets back into the city, he only gets there because Azula pulls him in and Ozai is still basically a threat to Zuko at that point. So there is no winning with Ozai because he is a, a terrifying individual. So I like that that goes out to Ursa in that she has to make choices that suck. And the first choice is she has to make sure Zuko is as safe as possible. And that doesn't mean safe. That just means as safe as possible. Mm-hmm. And then after that, she has to make sure she can live with the choice of making Zuko as safe as possible, which means maybe getting rid of her memories because the memory of her children means that she'll either be miserable or will go and make a choice that will endanger them. Right. Yeah. So I, I think that I like that it is a situation where Ursa's choices are not between a great option and a shitty option, but they're between shitty options and she has to navigate those shitty options as best she can. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's, this is the kind of moral complexity that, we that we praise Korra for a lot, and that Avatar didn't really get into uh, on on this scale. And I I really I really appreciate the 
I really appreciate the the shades of gray going on here with Ursa's story. Gene Lin Yang is just a really fantastic writer. I mean, I think, that, I, I think we're going to be saying this a lot over the next two ones too, but um, he is just such a solid writer. He is, he has great ideas. He loves the source material and adds to it in ways that enhance the source material instead of feeling like desperate additions to make sure he has story to tell. And he adds a lot to Ursa's backstory that we've never seen that there wasn't in the series. And, and, um, uh, Martino basically makes clear that, that Gene came up mm-hmm. with a lot of that backstory, but it all fits amazingly well. And it is obviously very deeply thought out story stuff. And, and I, I can't say enough about it. I mean, I, I, I wish, I wish two things. One, I wish that Gene was writing for Avatar when Avatar was on. Yes. Uh-huh. And B, I kind of wish that Gene was on the Korra staff too. Yeah. And I love Korra, but damn, I wish Gene was hanging around on that staff. Um, I don't think we've mentioned this before, but there is, uh, so this Avatar The Last Airbender comic series is an ongoing, um, I, I, I don't know if it's forever ongoing, if there's an end date planned, but at present it is an ongoing thing. There's more stories continuing to come out. And later this year, we're going to get uh, a legend of Korra ongoing spinoff series, just like this. I cannot Who's remember. Writing? I cannot remember. Let me see. Let me, I'll look this up and you guys can keep talking. I don't think, yeah, it's, I don't think it's I Gene. A, I would love a Korra story, but it has to be someone amazing. And, and the, the bar has been set <laughs> a little, a little high. Uh, yeah, so the the one that's the, the Avatar one that's going on right now, Smoke and Shadows, is that Gene Luen Yang and Guri Hero as mm-hmm. well? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm I think I'm done with Avatar Comics if Gene Luen Yang leaves <laughs> and he is not replaced by if DiMartino and <laughs> by Ennis are the ones who replace him, I would probably keep reading it. Okay. But otherwise, no. What about Garth Ennis? Well, if Garth Ennis wants to tell the Azula story, I'll read that. Okay. So it looks like um, there's another – so after Smoke and Shadows, there's North and South Mm -hmm. is the next Avatar graphic novel starting in September. And so it looks like like it's every three or four months that one of these volumes come out. And that is also Gene Luen Yang and Guri Hero. Oh, Um, oh man. I'm I'm excited. So I think North and South – is going to make season two of Korra better by its presence. <laughs> I'm just going to, I'm going to note that right now. Okay. And right. I just totally based on that title and what I think it means, I think it's going to make, it's going to provide a level of depth to a situation that could have used some depth. So, so the, uh, the legend of Korra all new comic series is, it says helmed by co-creator Michael Dante DiMartino. I assume that means he's writing it uh, with art by um, Brittany Williams. Uh, well, actually, it says joined the art team. So I, I, I don't know what that means, but uh, theoretically written by DiMartino uh, and uh, drawn with art by Brittany Williams. She has she's done work for Marvel's Patsy Walker, a.k.a. Hellcat. I don't know what else she's done. Sorry. If if DiMartino is involved, I'm in. Yeah, because that that makes it real to me. If it was 
if we were getting to the point of like the Dark Horse Angel comics where no one mm. was involved anymore, then I would be I would have to tap out. But if DiMartino is going to be involved, um, don't get me wrong, I would like Gene Luen Yang to write the story, the obvious story idea that anyone who watched Korra would want to see happen after Korra. Yes, like the story thread that you would want to see happen after Korra. If Gene Luen Yang wrote that, I would be the happiest motherfucker in the world. But if if D Martino and or Kanetsko are writing it, I'm I'm in regardless. Um, so I, so you know, here's the danger of looking up information on anything oh, no. to do with the show Arlo. that has been over for years that you're watching for the first time. I just got kind of a big chorus spoiler, you guys. What'd you get? Let's let's. Do you wanna, I'm, not, I'm not I'm not putting it on the show, and it's not necessarily a plot thing. Okay. But it's something I wouldn't have assumed. And is it a is it a like okay let's let's classify this. Are we okay. talking about a like a thematic thing? It's are we real, talking about a character thing? Are we a, talking about a relationship thing? It's a relationship thing. Okay, that's what I thought you guys pulled on. So okay, I'm not gonna say, if anyone is I listening was, who has not seen the rest of Korra, I'm not gonna say it, but we can talk about it later. Okay. I I want to let you know, Arlo, that if it's what I think it is, I was spoiled on it too. Okay, and it doesn't cool. hurt anything. And in fact, if anything. It sort of vanishes into your mind, and then when it comes up, it's like, oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. So we'll just let it go with that. All right. All right. Cool. <laughs> well, hell, let's get back to the book at hand then. Yeah. Um, what else have we got? Uh, uh, so, so, yeah, let, let's talk about uh, masks and everything. Yeah. So obviously yeah. that's a very big theme, uh, and I really like uh, on page 152, uh, Jean Luen Yang said – I mean, a, a lot of it you, you you've already sort of said, Paul, but he talks about – why faces and masks are such an important theme in Zuko's life story. And he mentions, you know, one of the, he mentions the mask of the blue spirit. And one of the few things we know about his mother from the original series is that she was a fan of the theater, the art form where actors take on fake faces and fake identities. And I like that he then, he turns Ursa into uh, a member of an acting troupe Mm -hmm. and brings back that love amongst the dragons play that Zuko mentioned his mother always dragged them to see the Ember Island players perform. And now that we know the history of that play and the fact that, you know, she and Ikem are performing that play, Ikem takes the name Norin from that play, um, which she would have known at the time, but it, it, it deepens that tiny little throwaway detail that we learned about his mother and, and just, makes Ursa such a, a a more compelling character than we had any reason to expect. Uh, yeah, I uh I love the details that these like that that these books that Gene is putting in there. Um there's another one in here where uh we find out the actual origin of that uh horrible line that Zuko said his father had told him that yeah azula was born lucky you were lucky to be born we actually get to see the scene that that comes from um there's more we get another glimpse of you dao and uh you know the the work that's going in to to building that city and to what eventually is going to We'll see more of in uh, in Legend of Korra. I, like I felt really validated when I saw that council table and was like, "Oh, this <laughs> looks a lot like Korra." And then I went back and read the uh, annotations. Like, this is a precursor to the the, the Council of Republic City. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, there are a lot of great connections to the series as it exists. A lot of little things. Uh, Zuko, the the blue spirit mask comes from Ursa's. Uh, 
collection of replica masks that she had made. Yep. Which I think is well, a great touch. From Love in the Time of Dragon Call or, or whatever the... Um, <laughs> love Amongst the Dragons. Love in go. the Time of Dragon Cholera. I love it. Um, yeah. <laughs> All right. Oh, yeah, we get, it, we get one of the masks. I mean, the Blue Spirit mask is from that, right? I mean, that's like... I, th- I think so. I think that was the implication there. Yeah. yeah. Um, hey, here's a quick question for you guys. Um, because we never actually get to hear it uh, said aloud, since this is a comic book, how do you pronounce the name of the, the town that Ursa is from? I, I say Herea, uh just because it's it, that sounds vaguely Hawaiian to me, and right. that village is supposed to have sort of a Hawaiian feel to it. I don't I like, in Japanese. I, like I don't think that's how it would be pronounced, which is why I say it's sort of the Hawaiian thing. But Hirea sounds good because I was pronouncing it as Hira'a. and that was well. Hell, that that sounds even more Hawaiian. Maybe you're can right. Someone, can someone give me a page number where the spelling is on? Because I want to check what I was going to say. I don't have a page number. I can tell you it's H I R A apostrophe A. Page Hira'a. Hira'a, I think is what it would be. Okay, that's how I was pronouncing it in my head, but it was kind of like every time I got to it, I like my mind stumbled trying to say it. So, I mean that that actually sounds even more Hawaiian to me. So that's probably accurate then. So, anyways, it's okay. page seven, the very first page of the the actual look, comic. With look, all look, the I was in Hawaii for a whole week, so I feel completely <laughs> like, like an expert on this. Subject. You are you are the authority, so. But yeah, no, I, I I was going for Hira. What I okay. was, how I was pronouncing. Right. Good to know. Good to know. Uh, let's see. All right, now I'm just flipping through here to see what else we got. Um, let's talk so, about. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Okay. Okay, this is small, but we need to talk about Sokka. Okay. Um, because Sokka is a small character in this book, but he has important stuff because he is the brother. He, he's one of the brothers. Yeah. That is sort of right part of the theme of stuff, but through this all, we have this theme of Azula mocking his usefulness. Mm-hmm. to the group oh, and, this is a great moment. and it leads up to maybe the best moment of the book when she's like where's your little toy referring to mr boomerang and the page ends with him going like right there or something <laughs> and then the next page is the boomerang coming back around and hitting her in the head. yeah that was phenomenal that is just that is like some and you want okay so this goes back to maybe the subtlety of writing and the amazingness of writing and artwork I feel like most comics would have had that on one of two things, either on the same page, like the there it is, and then it would have been like half the page would have been a splash page of that hit, or it would have been on the left side page and then resolved on the right side page. Yeah. But this makes you have to flip the page, and that's, I think, the extra piece that makes it go from really amazing to just purely brilliant. Like, it ends on this, like, what? You know it's coming, you know what's coming, and you flip out of the desperation to see what you yeah, know is about to happen. It's uh it's page two Oh seven. And then the reveals on page two Oh eight and the, uh, Jean's footnote on this. He says, uh, Sokka is to team avatar. What Hawkeye is to the Avengers. He's a normal guy who hangs out with and goes up against the Uber powerful here. We show how he does it with wit. Right. Oh, go ahead. With wit and cleverness. Right. One, I completely agree with Eric. This is one of the magical thing comics can do, and it's executed perfectly here. Two, I'm glad you mentioned the annotation because I want to hear how fuming mad Eric is that Sokka <laughs> got compared to Hawkeye. Yeah, I mean, like, 
Sokka's only like 80% as useless as Hawkeye. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> and I, I, I will just say this. I, I say this to you every time, and I say this to anyone listening. The Matt Fraction, David Asia run of Hawkeye is incredible and will change how you think about that character. Moving I, 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 I'm going to read that at some point, but I can only come back to, to um, Natasha's Age of Ultron line, which is like wondering why that guy's here really brings the team together. <laughs> wow. No, I, I that was a very apt comparison, except that I think Sokka's usefulness to the team got demonstrated a lot er, a lot earlier than Hawkeye's in the Marvel movies. Sokka's usefulness gets demonstrated a lot faster than Hawkeye's. I'm still not sure his usefulness has been displayed in the movies. Oh my god. Okay, this is a conversation we're gonna have another time. <laughs> so I, I like Hawkeye. I like Hawkeye. Anyway. But, but I, 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 yeah, no, definitely, like, Sokka doesn't get the Hawkeye level of, like, Honest Trailer's, like, Age of Ultron thing, which is, like, there's still plenty of time for your least favorite Avenger to become your third or fourth least favorite Avenger. <laughs> definitely Hawkeye, um, Sokka does better than that. So. I, I agree. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I don't hate Hawkeye either as much as I love to make Hawkeye trolls. Hawkeye cracks me up. Is it, Hawkeye's, I, Hawkeye's an easy joke target. But, yes, when you step back, Sokka is kind of the Hawkeye of the group. And... And I and this is something that I think is probably worth noting how well how deft Korra is that Asami would be the Korra the, sorry the Hawkeye of the group except that Asami is more useful than anyone else. Uh, Asami is the Black Widow. Yeah, no, that is excellent, including the shot glove. Well done. Yeah. Well done. Hey, does she hold on to that shot glove? Like, is that her thing? I can't remember honestly. Uh, okay. Maybe. I don't remember if it's a permanent thing, but we you do see it again. I think. I'm pretty okay. Sure. Cool. Cool. But. Um, okay, I, I was going to say let's. Uh, well, now I just have to mention uh, that we get more uh, Suki and Ty Lee in this, just because I'm on a page where mm-hmm. not not enough, not enough, not enough. And hey, uh, so so there are a couple big characters we don't get. We don't get Toph, but it, it makes sense. Toph isn't needed for this story, and I like that Sokka's like even the police chief went to check out her metal bending yeah, school. Yeah, a little setup so, there. Uh huh. I love that. Uh, but two, we don't get any May, and right, we talked no about this last time. She gets name. She her name is dropped here. Oh, is it? I didn't even notice that. After after Ty Lee uh, chi blocks Azula and she's just lying limply on the floor, she's like, uh, "Tell me how she got to you and May. How'd she make oh. you lose your fear of me?" All right, right. Um, but we don't get any May, and I was hoping in, in such a Zuko centric story as this mm-hmm. that we might get some continuation of of what happened last time because. Again, that is a thread that I really want these books to pick back up on. Mm-hmm. And I, I almost feel like they have to, especially if, like, I know there's going to be – if we've got, after this, three additional volumes, mm-hmm. I feel like there's definitely time, considering how well uh, Gene Lu and Yang ties everything together. But I really hope it doesn't just end with May leaving him. That would be so sad. Well, I mean – in in the next volume, they kill Zuko, so there's no oh, reason okay. for her to come. Well, back. then that that's fine. Yeah. Oh, which I, did I say that out loud? Um, no. All right. So I, I wanted us to he's talk got, about. He's got he's got to make babies with somebody because we've already seen General. That's true. Lyra. That's true. Good point. Um, well, okay. So let's talk about Zuko and his his journey in this. Uh, he we get a couple times, and I think one of the one of the footnotes calls it out. Um, there are a couple examples in here of Zuko sort of taking on the role of the, the level-headed one, or he sort of has a, an inner calm 
whereas the other characters around him, like particularly Aang, seems upset or agitated. And it's because he he's presented with the possibility that he might not be Ozai's son, uh, which which frees him. It gives him it. He sees an opportunity for an out here. <laughs> so much of this story is to, is uh, Zuko. He's still looking for his mother, but he he's perhaps looking for his mother so that he can just move on and leave all of this behind him. And I like how how selfish Aang is about this. Yeah, Aang's opinion is, well, fuck, I need you. Yeah, he can't he, not be the Fire Lord anymore. What am I going to do? I mean, that's not what he says, but that is absolutely the undercurrent. Yeah, I mean, he says something character. like, "You're not just the Fire Lord for yourself. You're the Fire Lord for all of us," or something like that. Yeah, yeah. He's he Aang has Aang is absolutely putting his destiny onto Zuko. And I, I maybe if I have a complaint about this story, it's that Zuko ultimately agrees with Aang. <laughs> on this and there's a part of me that wishes there was a story where Zuko was like yeah well you're the avatar and it sucks but not everyone else has to be the avatar just because mm-hmm. they were into something and I so I there's a part of me that wishes it could have ended that way but I I, I don't argue with where it ended because Zuko <laughs> I do also agree with Aang that, that we're fucked without Zuko as the fire lord right so yeah I, I understand where he's coming from yeah, and I, 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 there's a little moment in here that I love where Zuko is trying to explain to Azula. Yeah, I was why, just looking for that. <laughs> yeah, why they have to help Misu and Rafa, and Zuko says something like it's page uh, one, I, page one forty five. Okay, I, I think well, I, sh- I, I, sh- I should flip to the page. So hold on, talk, talk amongst yourselves. Do you want me to read it? <laughs> Oh, yeah. Go ahead, read it. He, he says, Aang is the avatar. Helping people is what he does. And we're his friends, his team. So helping people is what we do, too. And that, that I, I got a little chill mm-hmm. reading that. That is, I'm, st- I'm still so happy every time I see Zuko as part of Team Avatar. Um, you know, and he, he even said right there, you know, we're his team. Mm. And I, I, that just, I, it makes me so happy seeing that. Yeah. We love Zuko. Zuko is the best character in either one of these series, at least at least from what I've seen of Korra so far. Yeah, I... yeah Zuko might be the best character of either show. I, I won't. I'm, I don't know if I'm going to argue that. There, there are characters that I think I feel more maybe emotionally attached to, but that's a, a weird subjective thing. But as far as like the characters who have the like the best possible character arcs, I don't think there's anyone that matches Zuko. Yeah. yeah. He, he's phenomenal. Um, and hey, we get to see Iroh for a brief scene as interim Fire Lord, where he, where he of course, you know, his, his first day on the job establishes a National Tea Appreciation Day. <laughs> so, so perfect. God, I love Iroh. That was awesome. Everything Iroh does is perfect. Um, right, well, okay, so what do we think about the end of, it's not the end of Zuko's story, but the, the where he ends this book. Uh, I, I wanted to comment that I love the fact and uh, Arlo I, I think you do too because you, you commented to me that you, you got a little teary at this um, that the book ends with uh, the revelation that um, with a callback to the very first page and a revelation that this had been um, Ursa telling Zuko her story for you my dear I'll start from the beginning yeah uh, it's beautiful I, I love it. I was I was very very satisfied uh, upon reaching this ending. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what's interesting about this 
is that between the last two books, Avatar is still Zuko's story. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Right? These are these are two books. The first book kind of feels like Aang's story, but it's totally about Zuko um, and Zuko's like choices that he has to make. And then Ava- and Aang's choices are interesting, but not very interesting without it being Zuko, where he has to make the decisions. And this is just a hundred percent Zuko. Aang's Aang's story is a boring negotiation with the spirit. Yeah. But... Aang kind of has the least to do of any character in this book. But I didn't think that was boring. No, I'm I'm being an asshole. It was not, <laughs> but it was. But really, what he has to do is a very like Avatar duty kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm, like right. what he has to do is not like a compelling character examination. That that's, Aang that's is, true. Aang is yeah. falling into the Avatar role at this point, right? Whereas Zuko has all this really interesting stuff. And hey, can we take a moment to to give a shout out to Zuko for not fainting when he realizes his real destiny this time? <laughs> He, see, he he's growing as a person. <laughs> it, it, he realized he was a good person, and he didn't get deathly ill. Yeah, he doesn't. Uh, he, he doesn't get uh, good guy sick or whatever. He, he's exactly. not. He's, he's not overcome good, by uh, by hero cancer. It is uh, good. Good. Good for you, Zoko. You finally developed some antibodies to not being an asshole. So, <laughs> so, so really, you know, we. I mean, we we talked about this a lot when we were watching Avatar, but that was. Zuko's story with a lot of you know Aang dressing around it, uh, and yeah, that trend is absolutely continuing here. Um, and I don't that that's so interesting to me that the ostensible protagonist of the the series, it, it's not his story. That I mean, that's the through line. I mean, certainly in the 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 show, he had a a, a major arc that had a clear you know beginning, middle, end, but. It's almost like the Avatar stuff is just propelling – is there to propel Zuko's storyline along. I think he's a character that the writers just fell in love with the more they wrote him. So Yeah, or, or you know, I, I think I may have mentioned this before. Uh, the, the Zuko story is inherently more adult right. than the Aang story. And I wonder if, like, this is the story they wanted to tell – and the only way they could, and, and I don't mean this as a joke, and I'm not saying they, you know, they're, I, I don't know, I, I think there might be some truth to that, this, the, the fact that they may have wanted to tell this story, and the only way they could tell it was to couch it in a lot of kid-friendly stuff. So, you know what I think is that their initial idea was they absolutely wanted to tell the story of Aang, and in writing it, realized how fascinating Zuko was as a character, and how less easy it was to tell the story of a destined hero that mm-hmm. doesn't have a lot of flaws beyond not having enough experience and the reason i say that is because i think they really do love ang as a character oh, and yeah. i don't think and i don't think the intention was not to center around the avatar i think that was but when we look at cora cora is the most complicated and troubled character of her own series yeah they made the avatar zuko <laughs> okay well yeah. th- that that's a good point then yeah, so I think they were like, oh, yeah, we do want to tell a story about the Avatar, but let's – because, I mean, like, let's make her the character who has a lot of shit to work through. Yeah. And and I think that was the right call. That's why we were talking before about why Ab- like why Korra is maybe more personally resonant to me, even though I really love both shows. And I think that's part of it is that we have a hero who gets all of the really difficult shit that usually side characters – only get and Zuko for instance gets and these comics are great because 
Zuko is just straight up the main character at this point. Because <laughs> yeah. really, and I actually don't mean that in a bad way towards Aang. Aang has fulfilled his major destiny. He's beaten Ozai. There isn't a solid story reason to make Aang the only main character anymore. Yeah. Like, there isn't, there isn't a major issue that Aang needs to solve. So you can just focus an entire story on Zuko, and it doesn't feel unnatural. It doesn't feel like you're tricking the story. It just it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. And that is such an interesting like uh I'm I'm glad you put it in that context that Korra is the that, that they first they had a flawless hero with Aang, so and they they may have realized how difficult that was to write, and so when they got to Korra, it was almost sort of a course correction like they they learned from their mistakes. Like in you know, we can make our hero be as flawed and complicated as, you know, a supporting character like Zuko. That's that's really interesting to me. All right, let's talk about art. Let's talk about art. I am absolutely in love with Guri Hero's work. Oh, I loved it in the first one, but I feel like they hit their stride. Absolutely. Yeah, so uh, any standouts that anybody wants to mention? Uh, I, I will point out... Uh, that once again, there are very, very few like giant splash pages. I think there's three. Is there one? Is that, is that, we have one double page splash page, right? That's it? The, in the three. Yeah, there's only one double page. That, which is the Nightwalker. <laughs> right. And then we have, I think it's like maybe the last page of each part. So, so, so maybe the last page of part one and the last page of part two. I think those might be, um, I'm I'm flipping really quickly to see. Yeah, no, I agree. And you know what's amazing is that we despite that, despite the fact that we get very few flash pages, and this is the mark of great art, there are images that are indelible from these comics that when in your head they are splash pages. Like in your head, they are a full page worth of content, and in reality they are like four panels across the thing. And I'm thinking specifically of like 188 in the collected edition, which is them um, putting the new face mm-hmm. uh, or putting the, right, the new face on uh, Ursa, mm-hmm. which the idea of the image of that face, that like fake face being put on her and the hands on her face feel like two splash pages in my head. That's how powerful those images are, but it's for, it's four panels, right? It's uh, not a splash page. It it looks like I was mistaken. The uh, there's the double page spread that we talked about. The only other single page splash that I've found is page one fifty two, which is the the last page of part two. It's the I am the mother of faces reveal. So basically, only the mother of faces gets full. Yep. Yeah, and that makes sense given her you know stature. Um, I I what I love about their artwork is that. And I think I talked about this last time is it's very clearly it's very recognizably done in the style of the Avatar TV show, but not in a way that sacrifice, you know, that sacrifices it as actual art. Um, it's it, it takes that style and becomes its own thing. Um, it, it's so I can't imagine anyone else doing the art on a book like this, which is why, um, you know, I, I, I can't imagine the Korra books without Guri Hero's art, um, because it's so fluid, but and it's so, 
I know what am I trying to say? It's so fluid, but at the same time, there's such a great attention to detail in every panel. Like it's it's astounding how uh, looking at this artwork, it seems on the surface of it very it, it's bright and colorful and simple. By which I mean it's uh, it's for the most part uncomplicated art, but there's such detail in every single panel, and that's a really difficult thing to pull off. This is very clear, concise artwork packed with a lot of small, important detail. Yeah, yeah it's it's amazing that, and I'm going to maybe make some heresy here, I don't know, but <laughs> it's, it's better than any of the artwork in the actual Avatar series, I, while still feeling entirely like the artwork in the Avatar series. I would agree with you. I, it, that's I a might possible, agree. That's that is not a possible thing to pull off. <laughs> like that, you feel one hundred percent in line with the artwork of the series you're making a comic off of, but somehow improve on it. I, I mean, we've already talked about how we loved their artwork in the Promise, and it's only gotten better here. Um, in the Promise, yeah, and we talked about it. We spent a lot of time on it you could still tell, and they commented in some of their footnotes that uh, they were still sort of learning, that they were new to this sequential storytelling format uh, of these comics. And you could, I could feel that. You could feel them, you know, learning as they went. In this book, uh, with a couple of very minor glitches is too strong a word, but with a couple of missteps here or there aside, this is so much more on point. They, they've kind of per perfected their art form in uh in taking the animated style and putting it in static images. And like you said, Eric, I, it's, it, it looks better than the animated series while still looking like the animated series. It, it's unreal. And so I have a question about the art in this and, and please all tell me if I am wrong about this, but I felt like there was a lot more art that broke the panels in this where like the, and not, actually, not even the whole thing. Like, actually, I think it was mostly in the third vault, the third issue, where things were bleeding past the edges of the panels more often than they were in the other ones. Am I wrong on that? Am I just imagining that? Um, I didn't consciously recognize that, but I mean, one example is on page one ninety nine. Like the the mask falls off of gets knocked off of Rafa's face, and it's sort of uh, it goes beyond a couple panels. Um, or, or you get uh, the following page, uh, the mother of faces, she sort her head, her horns or whatever you want to call them, mm -hmm. uh, extend past the top of the panel. Um, yeah, it's not something I consciously recognize, but clearly it's in there. I felt like um, I was looking for this and I don't, <laughs> I, I don't remember noticing it that much, but you're, I mean, I'm flipping through it and. Uh, you get page 210, uh, Zuko shooting flame at uh, Azula. Actually, their whole fight sort of goes past out, panels out of the panels. Yeah. Um, what I, I'll yeah. tell you what I did notice is we commented a little bit uh, last time on their use of panel layout. And uh, uh, again, I feel like their, their panel layouts are much more assured here than they were even in the promise where yeah. you get, like I just flipped to page 118, 119 where those that's pretty standard panel layouts. Um, but then there's a lot of examples of them using um, odd angle. Oh, well, I just found another example of artwork breaking panels, but um, of odd angles. Dang it. I had a specific example. I think it's, 
it's oh it's one it's page 117 and the footnotes even talk about it uh, the the angled uh the diagonal panels that look sort of like shattered glass or whatever uh, and the way they use that to heighten the building tension as uh as ozai is um setting the terms of their agreement or whatever i just feel yeah. like they're they're much more confident in their use of panels I agree. By the way, I want you all to know that when we were we've been having this discussion, I um, I was googling Guru Hero, and apparently they are um, doing a comic with Marvel called Gwenpool. Yes, which is I... Gwen Stacy as Deadpool, I guess. Yes. yes. Okay. All right. I'm glad you mentioned that because I too like I remembered they were doing a comic book for one of the big two. I, for whatever reason, I had it in my head they were doing something with uh, DC Rebirth. Not the case, clearly. I Googled it and found the same thing you did. Gwynpool is everything wrong with comics. <laughs> I hate the character of Gwynpool. She has not appeared in very much. Her appearances have been uniformly awful. She is a, a meme that they decided, and from what I'm seeing, like she started off as like a cosplay meme. And they're like, people will buy this if we put it, if we put it on paper. Yeah. And so they did, and it was just god-awful. The fact that Guri Hero is doing the art makes me want to read this damn thing. It doesn't make me want to read it. It means that I am going to read <laughs> Gwenpool. Like, oh no, they got, to, they got to you. Well, okay, so Guri Hero has a Tumblr page, by uh, the way, and it is filled with amazing art of various stuff, and Gwenpool was on there. But one of the things they're doing a lot of artwork of just like, I, I think it's just fan, fan art right now is... They're doing an awful lot of um, Rebels and Clone Wars stuff. And I just think that if you don't want to look at Guru Hero Rebels and Clone Wars art, then I'm just guessing you're not watching Rebels or Clone Wars. (laughs) But um, I have not found yet an Ahsoka Tano by Guru Hero, but I'm going to tell you, Guru Hero, if you write, if you draw some Ahsoka Tano stuff, I would buy it. Oh, God, please. Yes. There's an awesome... uh gif slash gif i forget how we decided to pronounce that um on their tumblr of art from gwynpool number two that it takes you through the whole process from uh pencil sketches to finished artwork and yeah this is this is brilliant stuff and that's in a goddamn gwynpool comic book they're amazing Man, I, they're, I, I i i had zero great. interest in gwynpool at all and i'm i'm flipping through this tumblr and my god their, their art might be even better there. Yeah, isn't it? It's amazing. I mean, like, the artwork is perfect. I mean, they're, they're doing the, the Lady Thor. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's great. It's, ah, it's I, want, I, want, I want all listeners to know I just sent uh, Paul an image I found, which was a piece of artwork they did of Astrid from How to Train Your Dragon. Oh, my God. Oh, man, oh let's God. check this out. <laughs> so, I, anyways, I just want you all to know that I just did, maybe did the nicest thing I've ever done. Paul. And Guri, oh my god, Guri Hiru need to draw a How to Train Your Dragon comic book. Mm-hmm. Oh my, I would I would read that. I don't even care if it was the worst written thing ever. I think I would read it just for their art. Oh man, alright. So anyways, I, I guess what we're saying here is we are, I think we were all fans of Guri Hiru's artwork in the first one. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like we have gone from fans to this is essential shit. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Like seriously, if you... Like, have ever doubted the validity of licensed comics? One, I mean, these are, these are just great stories being written extremely well by Gene Lu and Yang. But the art by Guru Hero, especially in this second 
volume is absolutely incredible. Some of the best stuff I've seen in mainstream comics in the past several years. Okay, I, I want to call out three specific pages uh, as for, for favorite art in this. Please um, do. And, and none of them, surprisingly, none of them are the, the Mother of Faces, which every appearance of the Mother of Faces was, was stunning. Uh, but um, the first one is going to be page 118, and I can't really explain why it is. It's, it's one of the flashback pages. Uh, it's all silent. It's when, uh, when Ursa is making the poison, when she's cutting the flower. Oh, that's great. Mm-hmm. And there's just something about the flow of that page and specifically the fourth, the third and fourth panels where you see the, the cut up petals in the, in the mortar and pestle. And then after she's, she's pulped them and liquefied them, how it slowly pours into that. I don't know. It's just... That is, that is the very definition of like the magic of sequential art. Is yes. mm-hmm. yeah. Like it looks like a split panel between the exact same image, but it's actually time passing. Yeah. God. That's that that I mean this might be comics in a nutshell right there. Like that is like if you want to see what, what how the way comics can work to present in static images time passing, like there you go. There's there's one class in the comic book college class you're gonna take right there. <laughs> it's beautiful. Um I I also want to mention on page one thirty-three, uh it's when uh I almost said Cora, it's when Katara uh, they're being attacked by the the plants and everything in the the forest of forgetfulness or whatever, and she realizes that it's that somebody's water bending, and so she water bends the plants all around her. I love that because it's very for me it very clearly read as Gurahiro trying something new, mm-hmm. which is like a kind of time lapse thing, which we do see in comics occasionally, but is is not you know it's not, it's not a common thing, but we see. So I feel like I like this because it was it's a gorgeous piece of art, but I feel like it is Gur Hero trying out a technique they have not tried a lot. Right. Uh, and then the last thing I want to call out, um, I, I don't know if people will think this is a weird choice, but page 155, which is, I believe that's the first page of uh, part three. It's Zuko redirecting the lightning. Oh, Yeah where we get the the last two panels of it are like an x-ray version an x-ray view of the lightning pe- traveling through his body. Yeah. I I don't know why but that is just gorgeous. I I'm glad you picked that page cuz I think it's it's amazingly gorgeous art but I love it on a story reason too which is that there's two instances of Azula firing lightning, and in this one, Zuko fires it into the sky. And the next right. time we see do it, he actually fires it back at her because. And I, I think that comes right after his "You're right, I have been naive." Mm-hmm. I think is the line of dialogue right before then when he realizes he's been. No, that actually comes before then. This is actually later when he's like, "I just need to deal with it." But anyways, I love that moment when like we've seen him trying not to hurt Azula, and it gets to the point where he just can't not fight back anymore. So here's an instance, this gorgeous instance of him absorbing lightning and firing it into the sky. And the next time it is entirely him realizing he needs to take on Azula. So I like this because it's great art and great storytelling yeah. happening at the same and it's, time. And it's followed by Sokka to... saying, whoa, I think I might be scared of you again. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm looking at uh, – so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop a link to you guys. I'm going to put a link to this in the show notes. There's an interview – uh, that was done uh, on the Barnes and Noble website with Guri Hero uh, back uh, in February, and it just takes you into like how they became artists, um, what their process is like, and the fact that this is very interesting to me. Like they they do not speak English, 
um, and they were not familiar with American comic books uh, when they were younger. Basically, what happened was they 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 had given up on being artists professionally. Like they had gone to art to art school and just kept it up as a hobby, and decided just on a lark to submit their art to a Japanese. Uh, art contest, they got second prize, and the person running the contest told them that their style wouldn't fit the Japanese market. So, so on a whim, they're like, well, let's just try the American style. And they they sent a portfolio to Marvel, and now they're comic book artists. God. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's very, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's very interesting stuff. Cool. That's awesome. When, when they did their first Avatar story, not the ones we've talked about, they apparently did like a six-page story. Or something they had only ever seen the first episode of the show. Oh man! <laughs> uh, but but now of course they've they've read they've or they've seen all of the uh, episodes. They've they have all the art books. They uh, and one thing that even the interview seems uh, the interviewer seems surprised and impressed by this. They will go to like fan blogs and listen like they listen very intently to all of like the. The details that the fans say they got wrong, and then when it comes to the collected editions, they go back and fix them. Ooh, interesting. So, yeah. It's, so, it's so these cool are stuff. the these are the uh, director's cut of these. Is that uh, yeah. yeah. And by the way, their names are Kawano and Sasaki. There you go. I'm sorry, Chifu, Chifuyu Sasaki and Naoko Kawano. You're a brave man. I'm sure I got those wrong. <laughs> No, actually, I think that was actually a really good pronunciation. All I think right, that, that was not I, I, that was not absurd pronunciation at the very least, but I think that was pretty close. Okay, <laughs> all right. By the way, uh, Eric, they say uh, they ask them, "Do you have a favorite character to draw? Are there any characters that are particularly difficult?" The first thing they say is, "The mechs are our least favorite. <laughs> we, we like everything other than that." Well, no wonder they wouldn't fit the Japanese market. Losers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I get it. No, they are very obviously people drawers. Like, I think that's a really like I their artwork is gorgeous, but I think that it is pretty clear from these comics that they really have a talent for drawing um, human emotion mm-hmm. and for communicating emotion in in really interesting ways. So, I I'm not surprised they don't like Max, and I I I get it. Actually, I, 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 I mean we we've, we've said several times about how uh, closely their art style captures the animation style and even in the animated world the mechs tend to be the characters are hand-drawn mechs tend to be um like computer drawn so and, you know and and i will say that like there is a there is an absolute art to drawing mecha and making them more than just machines which is what makes a difference between great mecha art and mediocre mecha art but i i understand if what you are interested in is the people then then that's as a last note on this interview, do you want to hear the comic book that inspired them? Yeah, like the first comic, the first American comic book they saw, and they were like, "We want to do this." Spawn. <laughs> that's okay. uh, well, that's not indicative of their work no. whatsoever. No. <laughs> a great idea of how uh, a great example of how people artists process their inspirations. <laughs> yep. What goes in and what comes out often not the same thing. Yep. Um, so, so, um, as we near the end of this, I, I, we're hitting an interesting moment with the comic. So with the first comic, I had no idea what to expect. Like I, in that, but I did know that it was going to tie into the transition period. You know what I mean? Like I knew it was going to be about the 
transition between Avatar and Korra. Like I knew that there was going to be pieces of that. And then this one, I knew we were going to deal with with Zuko's mother. I don't know what the rift is. I don't know what the title of the rift means. I don't know what the rift is. I don't know where the story is going from here. I have no idea what the next comics are going to be about. Okay, None. well, I was Zero. I was going to ask both of you for your predictions. Like, what do you think, based on where this book ends, what do you have a prediction on what the rift is going to be? I do. Uh, okay, whoa, go ahead. Go so for it, in, in the in the ocean, um, a rift opens and um, very large monsters, um, <laughs> which you will refer to briefly as kaiju, just to make it easy, um, come out, and only Sato Industries mechas can possibly fight the kaijus that are coming out of the rift that needs to be sealed. Nice, nice. A, a young man discovers his talent for creating uh, robots to fight <laughs> these giant monsters. That there you young, go. That young man is a, is a Hiroshi Sato. Hiroshi Sato. There I you love go. it. I love it. Okay, Arlo. Um, I'm imagining something more like uh, like Tokyo Rift. I, I'm imagining that, that they will be drag racing in the next one. In mechs? In mechs, that's no, right. No, actually, you're good. So you're going with the origin of the Satomobile. That, absolutely. <laughs> My God. Absolutely. That's, that's where I was going you with guys that. You are obsessed with the Sato fellow. All right. He is. Nothing matters except the origin of Hiroshi Sato. The rest <laughs> okay. of the stuff we don't care about. Well, I hope I, you know, I'm the one. My one disappointment is, and this is not a disappointment. This is not a real disappointment. This is just like I would love this, is that we're going to get a lot of young Ang stuff, and I want Jean Luen Yang, bearded, um, Yakone era Yang. Yes. Story. Am I, I? Is it so? You too? Like this is not just me who wants this. Like I would really love a graphic novel. Of that yeah. Era. No, absolutely. I I hope that the comics eventually. Well, it, it looks very much like you know North and South will be the fifth one that's coming out later this year. Um, they look still very much in the same timeline as this. Yeah. So. The thing is, I'm not even saying this because I want some origin or something. Like it's not like I want a, any specific information. I just want Jean Lin Yang to write that era. I don't care if it's even a lark of a story. I don't care what the story is about. I just want to see him write adult versions of these characters. I I absolutely agree. So I'm hoping, like like so far, uh, these books seem to be um, following sort of a very linear path, right? I mean, we're go we move from the promise followed immediately after the finale of Avatar. This one follows immediately after the end of the promise. Um, no spoilers on what the rift does, but it seems like we're moving in a linear fashion. I, what I would like to see eventually is for these comics to maybe do the occasional, I mean, we're getting flashbacks in these and everything, but you know, if we could get a volume of this comic that deals with the older Aang gang, or if we could get one that deals with maybe young Iroh or something. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, okay. Let's be honest. If Gene Lin Yang wrote anything in the Avatar universe, <laughs> I, my response would be, oh, my God, yes. And if Gore Hero was doing the artwork, I would be even more excited. So I don't even care. Like, there's stuff I would like, but I'm only saying that because I would love for this thing that I would love to be able to read to be written and drawn by these people. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, well, anything else that we want to say about this? It was good. I liked it. <laughs> it was it was good. It was all right. It was actually the this is this was the appropriate thing. I'm I am 
I'm going to just like pat myself on the back for a second and say splitting these books up the way I suggested was actually a better idea than I could have ever predicted because this was the exact perfect book to read before Korra season two. I, I all due respect. I mean, uh, you know, kudos to you. I, I pushed back a little against it. I didn't. I didn't feel like it was necessary, but uh, it, it has proven itself twice now. You're you're absolutely right to make us do this. This was pure luck being right on this, but this <laughs> was this actually worked out to be exactly what what was right for book two spirits of Legend of Korra. Yeah. Unfortunately, Arlo's suggestion of what we're going to be doing is <laughs> yeah. not. Yeah. Because next up is not artwork by Guru Hero. No. It is not writing by Gene Lo and Yang. No. It is it is not anything that we would want along those lines. No, sadly not. Which is why we're gonna take a little time to catch our breath and and work ourselves up to it. So um if that's all we've got for this one, uh we can start closing up shop uh thank you everybody for joining us as always you can find links to this and all of our past episodes at the website theavatarreturns.com links will also be posted on our parent show's site gobbledygeekpodcast.com you can also subscribe to the show in itunes to make sure you never miss another exciting episode and while you're there please be a hero and rate us or write us a review help spread the word if you would like to contact us please send your correspondence to monkey yahtzee at tarpodcast at gmail.com. And of course, you can always find us on social media, facebook.com slash theavatarreturns or twitter.com slash tarpodcast. And on Twitter, I am at haunt1013. Eric is at salon, that's S-A-A-L-O-N. And Arlo is at unplugged crazy. So next, we are taking a week off. Um, we, are, we are girding our loins. Uh, when we come back the following week, we will commit seppuku for your entertainment <laughs> as we as we willingly in air quotes subject ourselves to the 2010 live action film adaptation also in air quotes of avatar the last airbender director m night Shyamalan's masterpiece the last airbender please yeah please pop some popcorn and pray for our souls oh yeah <laughs> so until then remember Masked kissing is the worst. Mother, tell your children not to walk my way. Tell your children not to hear my words, what they mean, what they say. Mother, mother, can you keep them in the dark for a while? Can you have a proper wedding world? 